0: Hello once again everybody and thank you for joining me in the betters box is BangTheBook.com's mlb betting podcast for monday august 24th i am your host adam burke as you know this and every edition of the betters box presented by our friends over at dsi sportsbook btb and the number 200 is that promo code 100 deposit match bonus for the sportsbook 100 deposit match bonus for the live casino at bet dsi it's only a game until you bet it Daily Picks and Tips piece is back today over at bangthebook.com. Took the last couple of days off, one for my niece's wedding, one for the accompanying hangover that came the day after my niece's wedding. Uh, Apologies for not getting that out. I wanted to, but, you know, life happens sometimes and, you know, there are a lot of good opportunities to make memories with friends and family and you want to make sure you take all of those that you possibly can. So I did that this weekend. I put betting on the back burner and, you know, it was kind of nice for a couple of days, but also nice to get back into that routine here on Monday. Speaking of that routine, that will include a preview of the BMW Championship at Medina Country Club. That'll come your way this afternoon over at bangthebook.com. Be working on some NHL playoff stuff as well. Keep an eye out this week for Charles J with some things for us on the NBA as well as some NFL season win totals. And I'll be doing stuff with UFC, with NASCAR, mentioned the golf preview already. You will try and get some college football, some NFL stuff of my own together. I'm still not entirely certain that college football happens, so I keep kind of pushing it back, pushing it back a little bit. But you know, hey, if it's going to happen, I got to figure out some things going on with that. But in any event, lots of great content going up this week, as there is every week over at BangTheBook.com. And if you are going to join the Circus Sports Million, the Circus Survivor, the Westgate Super Contest. Any of the other betting contests that are out there in Nevada, out in Las Vegas, if you don't live in the state of Nevada, you will need a proxy to put in those picks for you. Maddie and Tony over at footballcontest.com do a phenomenal job for us. Always look forward to working with them. They're so easy to get along with. They're always approachable. You can get in touch with them if you need to. They're very understanding also of the deadlines with putting in picks and stuff like that. So Maddie and Tony over at footballcontest.com, at footballcontest on Twitter. They do an outstanding job for us. And if you get into those contests here this year, they will do an outstanding job for you as well. We'll start things off today with the Monday Mailbag. Got a couple of questions for that. Then we'll take a look beyond the box score. Then we'll go down the lines, recap some line moves from the weekend, and take a look at four series here for the week ahead. So we start with the Monday Mailbag Couple of questions from our good buddy Rich Lamons here, longtime listener of the show, one time bangthebook.com contributor. First question from Rich here says, How many drinks, if any, and what songs get you out on the dance floor during a wedding? Well, it takes a lot of alcohol to get me to dance. Being a fat white guy, it's not something that's uh, you know currently in my repertoire. That being said, outside of my own wedding, the last song I definitively remember dancing to. Uh, was Lean Back by Terror Squad. That was at my buddy Mike's wedding. I was in the wedding party for that one. Very interesting. That was uh, reception at the Big House at Michigan Stadium, even though he's a giant Ohio State fan, his wife a giant Michigan fan. I don't know how they make it work, but they've found a way to do so here for the last several years. And uh, great wedding, great time, really cool. We took pictures on the field. Uh, It was pretty awesome. In fact, there was an ESPN article uh, written about their wedding. Uh, I don't think I was quoted in it, but... In any event, that was a pretty cool wedding, but I do remember that one. Beyond that, I mean, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll dance with my wife, the slower songs, stuff like that, but uh, not a dancing guy. Just a drinking guy, and this weekend, by the way, uh, was Scotch. Second question here from Rich. Do you know what the COVID testing protocols and schedules will be for the NFL? I imagine that will have some impact on live movement when that information becomes known. And I looked this up this morning trying to figure it all out, The one thing that I found is that they're doing daily testing of players, coaches, and certain staff members through September 5th. Now, the NFL regular season begins on September 10th. That's the Thursday night game. Uh, I believe that's Texans-Patriots, I want to say. I could be wrong there. But in any event, uh, you've got that game on September 10th. So testing is daily through September 5th, and this was sort of the plan. They decided what they wanted to do throughout training camp with the testing protocols, kind of see how everything would come together, see what the positive test rate would look like, stuff like that. And keep in mind here too, all the players are wearing contact tracing devices and stuff like that. What I did read is that some sources are suggesting that the NFLPA, the Players Association, is going to want daily testing over the course of the regular season. Now, to this point, they haven't decided on the plans. I'm sure that will be big news uh, when they do wind up doing that. And I would think it's something that should happen over the next week or so. I don't think they want to butt right up to that September 5th uh, you know, current deadline with the daily testing. But it is interesting what Rich mentions here about you know, how that will have impact on line movement. And in fact, I was recently talking with a professional better who told me that You look, I'm going to be following the odd screen a lot more. I'm going to be following the Don Best odd screen, the Sports Insights odd screen, all of the odd screens, getting those subscriptions just because there's going to be a lot of inside information that comes out before it goes public. You know, things are going to leak. There are always leaks out there. And again, in this social media generation where news is at our fingertips, literally 24-7, those things are going to get out there. But there probably will be inside information that gets to different people in the betting markets before it even goes public. And something else, too, that could be really intriguing here is that you you think about how multiple states across the country now have legalized sports betting. So is this a thing where somebody in Pennsylvania or Indiana or Iowa or something like that finds out information before the national guys do? And before the big offshore books or the big Vegas books can make their moves. Now, again, information travels very fast in this business, but there could be some substantial market moves. And again, you look at what happened here this weekend with all the false positives in the NFL. Think of what that will do to the betting markets. You know, we haven't heard a ton necessarily about testing of the college players um, and, you know, the, the accuracy of those tests and everything. But I mean, that could be massive. You know, you talk about college football where a quarterback can move a line upwards of 10 points and you get some kind of news that there's a positive test for one of the quarterbacks out there winds up being a false positive. The line swings wildly back the other way, all those types of things. I mean, look, you know, again, there's always inherent uncertainty with betting on sports, but this year, you know, with COVID, with the tests, with how they isolate everybody got to quarantine and contact trace the people you know that are around those guys, stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very intriguing to see how all of this winds up playing out. But again, you know, I talked to a pro better that I very much respect. And he said to me, look, he goes, you know, I'm going to follow market moves closer because there's going to be inside information that comes out. And the tough part is when you start to see a line move, is it on air? Is it from a rumor? Is it from something concrete and maybe confirmed? You know, those are things that you're going to have to try and weigh. And this is going to be a unique season in so many ways, because when you talk about football betting, you talk about people using their power ratings to get out in front of the market, get that line value Sunday night or Monday morning, then kind of play around with it throughout the week. Do we see those early week moves? I mean, is that something that we should expect here this year? Because you've got more uncertainty than ever before. You know, a lot of people to begin with like to wait out the injury reports and stuff like that. But now you're talking about essentially, you know, six days possibly worth of testing, hoping that you don't get these COVID cases when you've already locked in a bet on Sunday night or Monday morning. You know, I don't know when market entry is going to take place here. You think about some of the really big groups that release You know, Monday and Tuesday with their football plays, and then everybody bets those, piles in, the market has to adjust. What do those release timelines look like for those big influential groups that are out there? You know, I don't know. I I don't know the answer to that. Nobody knows the answer to that until we actually see, you know, what happens out there in the marketplace. And, you know, again, you try to get out there, get the best of the number, beat the market as often as you can, but a lot of people are going to wind up with some bad numbers that they bet early in the week because something happens during the week. You know, we don't know. And, you know, what happens if college football doesn't get played or, you know, only certain conferences are playing, which is, you know, what it looks like right now. The NFL, they're playing games on Saturdays, maybe. You know, what, what does that do to the market? You talk about shorter rest, quicker turnarounds. How are teams going to travel this year? You know, a lot of teams saying that, you know, we're going to try and limit our exposure, limit our time out on the road. Some teams may fly in day of. Some teams may fly in the night before. You know, fly out right immediately after the game. You know, maybe that helps with having a Monday practice, something like that. I don't know. Again, there's just a lot of uncertainty, a lot of moving parts here that we don't know the answers to. And, and of course, the biggest thing that we don't know the answer to is COVID and, and what happens. And if there is you know, that second wave, or, you know, people saying it's going to be a bad flu season as well now, Uh, you know, pneumonia being mistaken for COVID, you know, with people having the symptoms, I mean, obviously not, you know, from the testing process itself, but there's a lot going on here, I I would say, and again, I mean, when the NFL announces its COVID testing protocol, that probably will have some impact on the line movement for these games during the regular season, And like I said, market entry is going to be a big question mark here too. So, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't know. And uncertainty is one of the scariest things, not just with life, but with betting in general. You know, there's going to be a lot more uncertainty this year than we're accustomed to. So maybe that is part of the reason why I haven't dug as much into football season as I normally would. It's part of the reason why we haven't gone to the daily shows yet. Which we typically do about the second week of August. There's just there's only so many ways that you know I can talk to handicappers and they can say, well, I don't know, or I have to wait and see, or you know anything like that. So we need some more clarity on all this stuff before I really start digging into football. Before we bring back the daily shows and all of that, and, and these testing protocols are a big part of the equation. And, and obviously with college football too, you know some some schools keeping students on campus in the dorms doing the online remote learning other places trying to get through in person class, yeah, we don't know. You know, I mean, these are uh these are uncharted waters to say the least here. And and we'll see, you know, how things we'll see if we get any more clarity uh with this picture here as we get closer to the start of the season. But Rich, always appreciate the questions. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for your support and for always checking in. Uh definitely means a lot to me. All right, so we take a look beyond the box score now and I've been doing these weekly updates on offense because July 27th to August 2nd, 233 average, 314 on base, 397 slugging. August 3rd to August 9th, 227, 307, 395. Then all of a sudden, August 10th to 16th, we saw this big spike in offense 266, 335, 461. Spike in home runs, spike in runs overall. So I wanted to kind of see what this was. Was it some small sample size noise? Was it some variance? Has the baseball changed? You know, kind of trying to look at this thing on a weekly basis and see where things kind of end up. Well, for the week of August 17th to the 23rd, that's going Monday to Sunday, by the way, 246 average, 327 on base, 425 slugging percentage, 324 weighted on base average, Strikeout percentage at 23.1, walk rate 9.5%. That is an increase from the previous week, but everything else went down. Batting average down 20 points, OBP down 8 points, slugging percentage down 36 points. So it looks like August 10th to the 16th was just kind of an outlier, just one of those things. The offense that we saw last week, while still higher than the early part of the season, kind of more in line with what we would expect. You know, we got a lot of pitchers on the injured list. Hitters are now kind of into mid-season form. Even the platoon guys are kind of figuring some things out here a little bit. But we did see that batting average drop, and that does make sense because again, we've talked about a lack of contact authority this year. We've talked about, you know, an increase in shifts, an increase in outfield shifts as well. Defense much better this year than it has really been any other previous year. Uh, fewer fastballs that's going to lead to less offense so all of this makes sense and and I think the fact that we kind of fell almost right in between August 3rd through the 9th which was the worst week of the year and August 10th through the 16th the best week of the year it kind of makes sense to me that you know we fell in between those two weeks where we did see some pretty significant drop-offs like we would expect in slugging percentage but didn't see on base percentage drop a ton Because again, we saw that walk rate increase here for this season. And look, starting pitchers have the highest walk percentage since 2000. And of course, that was the tail end of the heart of the steroid era. So you had pitchers, you know, working a lot more carefully, trying to be finer on the corners, stuff like that. Relief pitchers issuing a ton of walks. 10.2% walk rate from relievers. I believe that's the second highest outside of 2019 but I think there's something to be said about hitters being more patient you know the baseball is different it's not as lively as it was last season and it's harder than ever before to get a hit because of all this defensive shifting because of all these increases in off-speed pitches and breaking balls stuff like that and also too there's just naturally going to be a higher walk rate with fewer fastballs because fastballs generally the easiest pitches to control so, you know, we did see offense come back down to earth a little bit this past week. I would expect that this upcoming week looks about the same as last week. So I think we've kind of settled in a little bit here. And we'll see what that week-to-week fluctuation looks like. But I do think the numbers that we saw last week are you know, pretty reasonable in terms of what we can expect for the rest of the season. So if we're looking for some offensive regression candidates here on a team level. We start with the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves have a 346 batting average on balls in play against right-handed pitchers in 812 plate appearances. So BABIP never fully stabilizes, but this is too high. Again, as I just talked about, it's harder than ever before to get a hit because you've got shifts, you've got more off-speed pitches, stuff like that. I would not expect this big of an outlier for a team against right-handed pitching and remember, you're going to face a right-handed pitcher about 70 to 75% of the time, give or take. Maybe this year it's a little bit different with expanded rosters and, and all these types of things. But for right now, the Braves are having too much success on balls in play. So I would expect the Braves offensively to come back to the pack a little bit against right-handed pitchers. Same thing for the New York Mets. 329 batting average on balls in play for them in 693 plate appearances. So the Braves and Mets are two teams I'm looking for some offensive regression from against right-handed pitching. Now looking at some positive regression against right-handed pitching, the Cincinnati Reds have a BABIP of .223. Again, that's batting average on balls in play in 679 plate appearances. This will improve. The Reds are not a great offense by any means. But again, what we try to look for here with these regression candidates is regression to the mean. Generally speaking, BABIP going to be in that 280 to 290 range, uh, maybe a little bit on the lower end this season, as I've already mentioned. You generally don't get 60-point outliers that stay like that. The Reds right now are about a 60 to 65-point outlier. So you would expect them to have some positive regression to the mean. So I think the Reds against right-handed pitching should get better offensively here, Uh, in the coming days and weeks same thing for the Rangers who are at 248 and the Brewers who are at 249 Brewers with a tough matchup tonight against Trevor Bauer but I do think that the Brewers offensively should pick things up a little bit here as well now as we look at Babbitt again batting average on balls in play against left-handed pitching you talk about Babbitt never really stabilizing and these sample sizes are very very small these are nowhere near as significant as they are against right-handed pitchers but I think it's interesting to take a look here and see that the Pirates are at 367 the Royals 353 Tigers 350 again batting average on balls and play so these three teams have really overachieved against lefties and the interesting and ironic thing about this is that none of them are great offenses the Tigers are very right-handed heavy the Pirates do incorporate a lot of platoons And the Royals, their best hitters are right-handed. So it makes sense. But at the same time, these are three offenses that are not particularly good. As they get increased sample sizes against left-handed pitching, I would expect their numbers to go down. And they're already not very good against righties. So these are three offenses that are already towards the bottom of the barrel. And I think that that will be a trend that we see against left-handed pitching here soon as well. Now, the bottom of the barrel against lefties here, in terms of BABIP, the Angels at 209, Indians 222, the Reds making another appearance here at 231. Their contact quality is not great. But again, they shouldn't be this bad of an offense against both sample sizes, righties and lefties. Mariners at 239. And this is an interesting one here. The Dodgers at 245. The Dodgers have destroyed right-handed pitching this year. But they've had their issues against lefties, and they've had a lot of plate appearances against lefties. Three hundred and twenty-eight, I believe that's up there in the top three uh, in all of baseball. They've had issues with left-handed pitching here. Maybe that's an Achilles' heel for them. uh, But they've crushed righties to kind of balance that all out a little bit. But the two that are very interesting to me here are the Angels and the Indians. Can you think about the Angels and Albert Pujols isn't the same player anymore. But they've got all these right-handed bats in Trout and Rendon. Rendon's actually been great against lefties, by the way. But Trout and Rendon and uh, Justin Upton and Pujols and some of these other guys that you would expect to have more success against lefties, and they just haven't. The Angels have not had great contact quality as a team here this season. It has definitely impacted them in a very negative way. They're tied with the Red Sox for the worst record in the American League and a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're just not hitting, and they haven't been able to hit lefties either. Then the Indians, you know, the Indians here, I mean, there are so many issues with this team. They've got a very high walk rate against righties, but their contact quality is atrocious. They have a low walk rate against lefties, but their contact quality is still atrocious. I don't know what's going on with this team. I don't know what's going on with this offense. Uh, the blueprint is very easy on them. You throw breaking balls and off-speed pitches, and they can't hit them but they're not hitting lefties they're not hitting righties they're not hitting anything right now but the interesting thing is they've been okay with runners in scoring position and that's kind of obscured just how bad their offense has been has given them the chance to win some close games with the great starting pitching that they've gotten Uh, so they've gotten hits at the right times they're just not really getting enough of them overall speaking of performance with runners in scoring position Got some outliers here for you in the BABIP department with that as well. The Red Sox lead baseball in BABIP with runners in scoring position at 369. They still have a lot of good offensive pieces. The pitching staff is terrible, as we know, uh, but they still have a lot of good offensive pieces. So that offense can still be dangerous from time to time. The Nationals at 353. The Diamondbacks at 342. And this one's really interesting, too, because on the whole, Arizona has not been good offensively but with runners in scoring position they've gotten the hits when they've needed to it has helped them out has helped out their offense if they started getting some more plate appearances with runners in scoring position maybe they would look a little bit better the Cardinals at 337 obviously a very small sample size there having not played games for a couple of weeks then the Padres at 336 that's a big thing for the Padres too They've gotten a lot of big hits when they've needed to. They lead the league in grand slams by quite a bit. Uh, They've gotten a lot of key hits at key times. And sometimes that's sustainable. Sometimes it's not. Remember, I told you last week, there is no year-over-year correlation with runners in scoring position. You look for in-season positive or negative regression based on things like BABIP and stuff like that. But, you know, maybe this continues. Maybe it doesn't. They're a much better offense than they were last year. Uh, But those are your top five teams in batting average on balls and play with runners in scoring position, the Red Sox, Nationals, Diamondbacks, Cardinals, and Padres. The bottom five here, the Angels make another appearance at 242. And again, it makes sense why they're not doing well this season. The White Sox at 248 is very interesting to me because this is a team that will strike out. This is a team that will hit a lot of home runs. They've hit quite a few with men on base here so far. And home runs don't, don't count towards Babbitt because they're not balls in play. They're not a ball that anyone has a fielding opportunity on. But the White Sox offense could be even better. And part of this, again, is that they're so right-handed heavy that they've crushed lefties. And they've been about league average against righties. They've been a little bit better than league average in that split. And they could be doing even better offensively. And if they find some more lineup balance here at some point in time, that will be very scary. But right now, they do have one of the lower BABIPs with men in scoring position. And so do the Oakland A's at 250. And those are two very interesting ones to point out. Because again, these are two teams that have had some offensive success in big spots, especially. The A's offense as a whole, though, hasn't been as good as I expected it to be. But they've gotten some pretty good starting pitching. Obviously have a great bullpen. They've been able to overcome that. But again, we're looking for positive and negative regression candidates with runners in scoring position and with that limited number of opportunities this year with it being so hard to get hits those teams that are in line for positive aggression you probably do want to take a pretty close look at here like the Rangers at 252 and the Mets at 255 the Mets have had chances but they have the lowest OPS in baseball with runners in scoring position and that is something that they will have to figure out here as we go forward one other note and this blew my mind actually. The Dodgers have only struck out 11.4% of the time with a runner in scoring position. The next best team is the Diamondbacks at 17.2%. Almost a 6% difference between number one and number two in strikeout percentage with runners in scoring position is a mind-blowing statistic for the Dodgers. So you could argue that the Dodgers maybe are a little bit of a negative regression candidate. Maybe they played over their heads a little bit, but it is very hard, of course, step in front of that team one other thing I wanted to mention here on today's show is that there are 24 pitchers around Major League Baseball with at least 20 innings pitched that have a ground ball percentage of 50 percent or higher and only six of them have what I would consider to be a high ERA and those six are Lance McCullers at 574 Luis Castillo 444 Patrick Sandoval, 540. Alec Mills, 476. Sean Manaya, 639. And then Yusei Kikuchi at 630. So 24 pitchers with at least 20 innings pitched this season and a ground ball percentage of at least 50%. And only six of them have bad ERAs. McCullers has a 574, but with a 442 FIP. Castillo has a 444 ERA with a 204 FIP. Manaya, 639 ERA. 405 FIP, and Kikuchi, 630 ERA, 254 FIP. So those are guys, to me, that have gotten a little bit unlucky here. So when you look at the overall league-wide success of very extreme ground ball guys, and again, I meant 50% or higher, 24 pitchers fitting that criteria here, only six of them with high ERAs, and four of them are positive regression candidates from an ERA a FIP standpoint. So what this says to me is that at least for this season, there is good value across the board in betting high ground ball percentage pitchers. And again, like I've already talked about with the increase in shifts and stuff like that, it is harder than ever before to hit ground balls for base hits. So these are guys that, you know, generally if you're a high ground ball guy, you're a strike thrower because that's how you that's how you have success. You throw a lot of sinkers and fastballs and change-ups and stuff like that. Pitches that are a little bit easier to control than the things that move a ton. So they're strike throwers. So they're generally low-walk guys. We've seen league-wide that walks are up this year. But if you can limit walks, keep the ball on the ground, stay away from detrimental contact like doubles and home runs, that high-velocity line drive and fly ball contact, you can have a lot of success. And especially with how teams have made the defensive adjustments to shift and stuff like that. So I think this is a major betting angle now at this point in time. Guys with high ground ball percentages are play on guys in a general sense. So that's something that's a little bit different for me because I used to always sit there and say, well, you know, a lot more ground balls go for hits than fly balls. And while that was true for a long period of time, maybe it's not anymore. Maybe just because of defensive shifting, better placement, better pitch sequencing, stuff like that, guys trying to actively elevate the baseball in this launch angle generation, I think ground ball pitchers have a lot more betting value right now than they have over the last several years. So that is a change that I've made in my handicapping here and something that I think you may want to consider as well. So we take a look down the lines here, and you know the one thing I kind of noticed, and again, I mean, I, I stepped completely away from betting for the weekend. I didn't even have a play on anything, didn't really look at anything too much. But what I noticed as I went back through the odds screen looking for some line moves to talk about here is that Friday was pretty quiet. Saturday, we had a few line moves. Wade Miley got faded, as he always does. Dustin May took money, as he has regularly. Randy Dobneck got bet against a little bit for the Twins. Maybe people just thought that price was a little bit too high. Pretty quiet Sunday. A couple of fades of the Mariners over the weekend with people betting on the Rangers. I don't know if that's a buy of the Rangers or a sell of the Mariners, but on the whole, it was a pretty quiet weekend. And I wonder if this is just how it's going to be because you've got the NBA playoffs going on. There's been a lot of betting opportunity with those, a lot of interest as well. The golf market has gotten increasingly sharper. People are getting ready for the NFL. I just, I kind of wonder here, looking at the markets and looking at the moves, if betters have just decided to move on to other things. You know, this is kind of a gimmicky season in a lot of ways. I think there's a gimmicky nature to this season. All these pitchers are injured. It's hard to have model projections for these fill in guys. You've got the openers and the piggybacks and you're trying to play some guesswork as to who will follow the starter, stuff like that. I just sort of wonder if maybe some of the really influential crop of betters out there has just kind of thrown their hands up. You know, the Jerry Seinfeld gift where he just kind of throws his hands up and walks away. I kind of wonder if maybe that's a thing here this year. If if people have kind of looked at this baseball season and said, you know what, I'm just not going to do this. I just sort of wonder if that's a thing and, and why we haven't seen so many line moves out there because again you know when you've got uncertainty when you've got a high variance environment it generally creates betting opportunity and when there are betting opportunities you see a lot of line movements and we're not seeing those and the odds makers and the bookmakers and the risk managers are all really really good at their jobs and I know that they've kind of found their sweet spot now with the baseball season as well seems like they're pricing things pretty accurately but they're not going to be accurate all the time You know, and we didn't see a lot of line moves of great significance over the weekend. And and it just makes me wonder if maybe there aren't a lot of sharp, influential, respected bettors diving into the baseball market right now. It's just a lot of public action, a lot of, you know, not completely respected action. And and the risk managers are kind of comfortable with their positions and where they are. That's just sort of my read on the situation. Maybe it's just a slow weekend for it. Something like that. But, you know, we've got a holiday weekend coming up here with the Labor Day weekend. We've got the NFL coming. I just wonder if this is the new normal in Major League Baseball where we may get a game or two a day with some pretty significant line action, but just not a whole lot otherwise. And we've been seeing it lately too on the big favorites and the ace pitchers like Dustin May on Saturday, like Blake Snell here today, uh, like, you know, some of the Indians guy like a Bieber, stuff like that. Those guys are taking money. Maybe it's just it, you know, maybe people are just kind of playing favorites that they feel like they can trust and trying to scalp some money lines here and there. But again, I just, you don't see the the same level of baseball betting odds movement that you see in a traditional season. I just wonder if that's going to continue to be the case here as we move forward. Marlins money. We saw some of that uh, come in here today. That's Pablo Lopez against Austin Voth and the Nationals. The markets really do like Pablo Lopez. The sabermetric community really likes Pablo Lopez. They have a little bit of influence on the market as well. Uh, Maybe more influence now if some of those sharp, respected betters aren't necessarily coming in. But I did play Miami first five in that one. One other line move I thought was interesting that I didn't really understand is the line on the Cardinals. That line going up, that's Jack Flaherty on the hill for the Cardinals. Flaherty only threw 41 pitches uh, in his last outing. Said today that he doesn't want to know what his pitch count is. He just wants to go out there and pitch until they tell him he's not going to anymore. But he's not going to work that deep into the game I don't think and the Cardinals are like minus 170 minus 175 with what's probably going to be a bullpen game and their bullpen's been iffy you know they haven't been working a ton they have been over the last week or so now that they're back playing again but their bullpen's been pretty iffy some signs of regression there Brad Keller's been really good I know he hasn't allowed a run yet so I understand why people are betting against him but I took the Royals you know I, I went against the grain of that line movement a little bit um and you know again just Maybe a little bit of a calculated gamble on that one, but did take that big Royals underdog money line price there. But again, not a ton of line movement here on Monday. We'll see if that winds up being the case once these games go off tonight. All right, so for the week ahead, four series to key in on here, and we start with the Twins and Indians. Got to play tonight on Kenta Maeda and the Twins as well. Maeda and Aaron Savali tonight. Rich Hill, Shane Bieber tomorrow. Jose Barrios and scheduled to be Adam Plutko on Wednesday. I don't think Adam Plutko gets that start. It will either be Scott Moss who gets called up from the alternate training site or the Indians will let Zach Plesak or Mike Clevenger out of timeout. I do think Clevenger gets dealt before next Monday's deadline. I think that will be a thing that happens. Uh, But again, we'll see for the Indians on Wednesday. I just don't think Plutko makes that start. Uh, His last two starts have not been good at all. He's just he's not a good pitcher and I don't think the Indians want to run him out here against the twins in this series it's an important series for both teams because you you want some of these measuring sticks I mean you at the twins and the Indians here I mean the Indians played the Tigers and of course they just lost the series but you know they play the Tigers and the Pirates and the Indians and twins have pretty poor strength of schedules left to go but you want to see how you stack up against the better teams and These are two of the better teams in the American League. And when you look at this division here, according to the playoff odds over at Fangraphs, the Twins 99.5, Indians 97.4, White Sox 96.6, there's a benefit to winning the division with what's going on here with these expanded playoffs. So these are important games. These head-to-head meetings between these three teams are very important games here. That's what this will be. Maybe a playoff-like feel a little bit for the Twins and Indians. Over these next three days. The Phillies and the Nationals. Jake Arrieta Eric Fetty, this one's coming up tomorrow. Aaron Nola, Patrick Corbin, Wednesday, Spencer Howard, Max Scherzer on Thursday. This is a big series for both of these teams, I think. The Phillies have had the offense all year long. They don't have a great rotation, and they have one of the worst bullpens anybody's ever seen. The Nationals, they have an okay offense. They've done well with runners in square position, as we talked about earlier. But they've had some issues, too. The bullpen's had some issues. The offense has been very inconsistent. This is an important series for both of these teams. I don't think i would to have a whole lot of betting interest in it. But again, you know, you start talking now at this point in time about teams getting towards the midpoint and stuff like that. We start to find out, you know, who's a buyer, who's a seller, who's going to be into this thing and who's not. The big thing is, in the National League, the playoff picture is very uncertain. You've got the Dodgers who are about 100% to make the playoffs right now. The Braves have played well. The Cubs have played well. Everybody else has been sort of interchangeable. So all of these games, very, very important, not just for teams like the Phillies and the Nationals, but also teams like the Reds and Brewers. Trevor Bauer, Brent Anderson tonight, Luis Castillo, Brandon Woodruff and a good one tomorrow, Sonny Gray, Adrian Hauser on Wednesday. These are teams that have to start playing with some level of consistency. And the problem's been the same for both of them. Their offenses blow. The Reds have low contact quality, poor badmaps against both sides. The Brewers, their platoon-based, uh, you know, philosophy has not worked. But the pitching's been great for both of them. So maybe this is an under series here, something like that. But the Reds sending out all three of their aces. The Brewers sending the only one that they've got. But Brent Anderson, Adrian Hauser, extreme ground ball guys have pitched very well. I guess it's a good opportunity for the Reds, but if they squander another chance here, I'll start to be very concerned about them, not just in the short term, but in the long term, where they made all these offensive moves and they haven't really worked out yet. Lastly, the Dodgers and the Giants. Giants playing very, very well right now. This one at Oracle Park, and there's been some offense at Oracle Park this year. We've, we've seen a lot of runs scored there by the Bay, but this one, Julio Urias and Johnny Cueto, uh, coming up tomorrow, Clayton Kershaw, Kevin Gaussman, Wednesday, Walker Buehler, Logan Webb on Thursday. The Giants are making a good push here. As I mentioned, playing very well. Again, the playoff picture in the National League, very, very wide open. But the Dodgers are a juggernaut, man. They're destroying right-handed pitching. They get three of them here in Cueto, Gaussman and Webb. Gaussman had some command issues in his last start, kind of worked through them. The offense scored a lot of runs for him. Big start for him here, I think. I'll be very interested to see what happens there uh, with that line on uh, Wednesday because Clayton Kershaw has been getting steamed as well. Gaussman the market, maybe not buying in as much as I am. So we'll see what these line moves look like in this series. But again, the Dodgers have just been dominant against right-handed pitching, and they do draw three of those guys here in this series. I'll be back tomorrow on Tuesday, chatting with Brian Blessing. We'll talk about the BMW Championship. And the NHL playoffs, also a race at Daytona this weekend. A couple, we're a little under two weeks away now from the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks. So we'll have some coverage of that over at bangthebook.com as well. Just keep it locked in right over there. Plenty of stuff going on to keep you busy here uh, with all these sports, you know, really in season uh, finally after such a long spring and early summer that we had. Now, do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in. The betters box.